we have such a privilege and such an honor to have with us for tonight and the next four nights is Pastor Kurt Owen. And we have, uh, it, is, it is, Pastor Kurt Owen is one of my d- very dearest friends. And so I have been anticipating this for that reason. He's also my brother, so I've been anticipating this for that reason. And then I've been anticipating him being here because I know that there is going to be an impartation and a revelation that's going to take place in us over the next five nights. And that as he delivers the word of truth to us, that God is going to shine light for you on things that maybe you didn't see before, maybe you've forgotten them. In Psalms 119, verse 130 says this, The entrance of your words gives light and gives understanding to the inexperienced. So this is what I'm believing is going to happen, is that when we're done at Wednesday night, that we're going to have a lot more light than what we had going into Saturday night. And so put your faith to that, and the Lord will absolutely minister to you where you're at and bring you the light of His Word. So pastor, come and we'll pray together. Father, I thank you so much for this man of God. Thank you that you brought him here for such a time as this. And Lord, we believe that it's been strategic and it's been on time. So Lord, I'm asking you to have your way and your will tonight over the next four nights, that you accomplish your will, that your anointing is strong, that you work through our brother, Pastor Kurt, in a mighty way. And give us ears to hear and eyes to see. In Jesus' name, and amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, I'm excited to be here. Uh, I'm excited. Uh, you know, uh, Pastor Sidney and Jen, are, they're so precious to me and the kids. Um, my life has been the better for having known them. You know, sometimes when you get to know men of God, um, they're better uh, on the outside than the inside. You know, they're better at looking at them for afar off than looking at them up close. And, uh, but one of the things I love about your pastors is the more closely I'm with them, the more I respect them and the more I love them. So uh, I, and that doesn't happen everywhere I go. We're going to start into something tonight. Um, we do have some product there and I'm going to give away a couple things. Uh, this is, I think last time I was here, I was teaching on this about how to hear from God accurately. That, was that here? Um, anyway, this is a daily devotional about how to hear from God accurately. Also, with all of our materials, um, if you do not have the finances to purchase them, uh, if you'll let Patrick know, we'll give them to you absolutely free. If you can purchase them, it's a blessing to do so. But uh, churches like yourselves, and then I believe there's some actual uh, personal partners in here as well, our partners make it possible for us to give away our materials and for, like when we come to a church, we, we don't ask for anything um, because when you partner with this ministry, you make that possible. And I think, I forget how much material we gave away last year. So if you don't have it, um, we'd rather you have the answers that you need than not. And we don't want money to be an obstacle and our partners make that possible. But this one is on, on how to hear from 31 days to hearing from God more accurately uh, we wanted to add accurately in there because there are plenty of people who say they hear from God, but they're not. Um, and this will actually, this is, uh, if you've ever heard me uh, teach before, I'm very how-to, I'm very, um, 
When I first got saved, to be honest, everybody would they would tell me these religious platitudes, you know, like you need to, you know, you need to have faith, but nobody would ever explain to me about how to do it or anything like that. And so, uh, most of the time, I try to be really, really practical, and you'll find that's true uh, in this book. Uh, Patrick, you want to give that away to somebody who looks like they don't know how to hear from God? Um, and so. Uh, now, ten, I'm going to start teaching tonight on knowing and believing the love of God. We've got a daily devotional that goes along with it. Um, the love of God is a subject that, and you'll see this as we go along, you need to constantly be feeding on it because religion and the world constantly tries to get you to doubt God's love for you. They don't always put it in those terms, but they try to get you to question his love, care, and commitment to you. And so uh, we did this so that uh, people could, on a daily basis, be able to feed on something, think about something. And so um, you want to give this away to somebody who doesn't look like they think God loves them? Anyway, so those are going to be out there. Now, let's start talking about the love of God. Um, now, as this goes along, let, let me tell you where I was at. I got saved in... 1989, I think is when it was, January of 1989. People say, well, why don't you remember the day you got saved? Because I didn't know what I was getting into. Um, I was in trouble. Uh, I was sick. Um, and um, uh, I was, they thought I, I, I was real sick. They thought I might die. There were some people that wanted to help the process along. I'd gotten into a fight with a, a street gang um, Outside of a pool hall. I don't know if I've ever told that story here. But yeah, but that's, that's kind of what happened. And then, um, but I had some internal bleeding from something else I'd gotten into. And they found out that I was sick and that I had this major allergy. And so, um, long story short, they made me uh, go back. I had to move in back in with my mother. And, f- and from January until uh, April of that year, I was not allowed to leave the house, basically. Okay. And it was during that time uh, that my mother was listening to a gentleman by the name of Kenneth Copeland on television. And um, she uh, had to stay in her house. And back then, Brother Copeland was on television uh, seemingly all day, just on different channels. And back then, TVs were not flat. They were these big boxes, and they, they could be on these stands with wheels. And so they would ro- she would roll it, like if my bedroom door was here, she would roll the TV over and put it next to the door and turn it all the way up. And, um, and so I started hearing uh, about uh, some different things. And now I had read the Bible through the year before and um, had told my mother that it was uh, an interesting history book. And there were some things, good things in there, but there wasn't anything in there for me. And so uh, one day Brother Copeland was preaching and he said, uh, the Bible is God speaking to you. If you believe it, it'll work for you. If you do not, it won't. And that made sense to me as an instructor and as a teacher because I figured, well, if you had a mass group of people and you wanted everybody to kind of be on the same page, you need to write it down. <laughs> Because you'd need to standardize things so everybody could go through. So if he, you wanted to relate who you were, you'd have to write it down. And so I said, okay. And um, I, did, I didn't know Brother Copeland. So I, I got out of the bed and I said, okay, listen, uh, this is what I'm going to do. I don't know whether this guy's a liar and a hypocrite or not. Because back then there was lots of TV preachers getting in trouble. I said, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to grab this Bible. I'm going to get this Bible and I'm going to read it through. And I'm going to do what it says. And I'll, I'll know whether I'm a hypocrite or not. 
And um, if it works, I'll do it. If it doesn't, I, you know, if it, if it works, I'll stick with it. If it doesn't work, I won't. That was more than 30-something years ago now, right? I found it to be true. Now, I've been hypocritical since then, but uh, I have found that when I did the Word, it worked. and it, I put it to work. But I had a major challenge at the beginning, for, actually for many years. Brother Copeland was very, very strong on covenant, okay? And um, I'm very strong on covenant. Your pastor is very strong on covenant. We're in covenant together. Um, and... The pro- and it's a good thing that I learned covenant because I had a major issue in the fact that I, <laughs> I looked at it like this. I knew that God, I knew that God had saved me because I knew there was a difference, but I didn't really think he wanted to. I think when he said, for God so loved the world, I, I felt like the friend, have you, ever, have you ever been the friend that like they walk over to Pastor Sidney and said, hey, would you and Jen like to come out to dinner, and then I'm standing here, and then they, they, and then they look at me and they say, is, is he with you? And then they look at you like, I guess you could come too, right? Like, I, I don't really want you to, I was looking forward to dinner with them, but if I have to take you, I will. And um, that's the way I kind of looked at my relationship with God, is, is that, you know, that he wanted yeah, he loved the whole world, and I was part of the world, so he had to take me. But he really wasn't crazy about the idea. Now, and so covenant helped me because covenant. I did become convinced that God was a God of integrity and honor, and that He would keep His word, really, even if He didn't want to, because He would. He was honorable, and so covenant helped me because I was sick and I needed healing. I, I believe that he would heal me, not because he necessarily wanted to, but because he said he would. And therefore, even if he didn't want to, he would still help me. Are you with me? But I had this relationship with God. Now, every time I prayed, anytime I needed something, it was adversarial. I had to, you know, and back then, part of the way things were related to me were to blame. I would have to present my case. I wasn't reading the Word to find out what belonged to me. I was reading the Word like it was a legal brief. And I, I'm going to have things that I need taken care of. And so I'm going to have to present my legal case to the Lord to get Him to help me. And I figured, well, you know, He's going to do it. Fine. He's basically looking at me, oh, man, you're in here again. Yeah, I did say it. Fine, I'll do it. I'll do it. Are you with me? People say, well, why were you like that? Well, there were a lot of reasons. I had um, basically uh, been rejected my entire life. People, and you know, I went to church and I heard one of the worst things you can ever say in church to a person like me is, God's love is like a father's love. And I thought, well, then I'm in trouble because my father didn't love me and he didn't want me. And I'm thinking, okay, great. I've just exchanged one problem for another. And so I've got this word, and, I've, you know, and I, I begin to get established in covenant. I believe that he swore in the blood of his own son he would do what he said. I believe that. And so when I got in trouble, I could lay hold of it, but I would walk the floors night after night, not, not in an effort to convince me that he was true, but to convince him to help me. Because I saw him as though that, that I, he had to be convinced. And, and you know, and then I'd have these long sessions of repentance and I'd go through all this stuff in order to get him to keep this word. 
And faith was always a struggle. Always. But then uh, several years ago, it's been in 2002, I began to receive a revelation about the love of God. And the, the love of God began to change me. And I began to, it, it, beca- it became so much easier to pray. It became so much easier to receive from God. It literally changed everything about me. And, I, and so I began to, as I began to study this and I began to get into this, and over the next few nights, we have five nights here. Um, is that right? Five? Um, we're just going to touch the surface. But I'm going to give you some things that when you get into trouble or when you need help or when you hear a teaching... I honestly believe if you will attend every night and you will stay here, especially with the last night, because on the last night I'm going to do miracles and God is going to do great things in you. He's going to change things for you uh, forever because of His love for you. But over the next few nights, I will give you enough hors d'oeuvres from the Word of God that you will hunger a meal and that you will begin an entirely different life from the Lord than you've ever known before. And so, uh, and, and you need to expect that. Go with me to uh, 1 John. 1 John 4, and we're going to start, for tonight, we're going to start in verse 16. And we'll, maybe we'll have time to go back and get some of the other stuff here. But notice what John says. We have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Now notice here, first off, the, the Apostle John is saying that God loves you the same way he loved John. Are you with me? But he also tells us this. He says that there is a difference between believing the love of God and knowing about the love of God. He says we have both known and believed. Because there are multitudes of people that know about the love of God, but do not actually believe it. And I'm going to prove it to you as we go along. Now, and I was kind of in that position. After I got saved and I began to get into the Word, I could teach you and I could tell you what the Word said about God's love. I could quote you John 3.16, I could tell you other things from the scriptures, but here was the problem. And I believed him for you. If you called me at 2 o'clock in the morning and you were in the middle of, of a hole filled with sin, I would tell you unequivocally, God loves you, God wants to help you, God will deliver you, God will have mercy on you, and I believe that for you. But then if it was 2 o'clock in the morning and it was me, I didn't believe that. I believed it was true of you. I could be bold. I could be strong. Because, you know, I don't, I don't know what you've been doing. I know what I've been doing. I can think of reasons not to love me. Are you, are you here? So really what we're going to do over these next five nights is you, in order to believe the love of God, you've got to know about it. So I'm going to take you through some scriptures and we're actually going to look at them for what they say. Not necessarily what religion has said about them. 
But in the midst of this, we, I want to get you to the place that you can actually believe that God loves you. Now, you're church people. I guarantee you, if I, if I meet you out in the vestibule, right, or here, you will tell me that God loves you. You'll say, oh, but God loves me. But then I want to know why it is when you pray, you have so much doubt as to why he'll help you. And, and see, here's the thing. There's plenty of times that people know about something and they don't really believe it. You know, I remember when I was in uh, school and we were uh, studying ballistics, um, uh, they, uh, you know, the way bullets do stuff. And um, it didn't really take with me, so don't come up with me afterwards and start talking ballistics to me because I will just sit there and look at you. Uh, I'm familiar with firearms. I just don't know. I don't keep track of all that stuff in my head. And so, but in in this class, the instructor says, that if I were to fire a bullet out of a gun, all things being equal and all that other stuff, and you were to drop the same bullet, same exact same weight and everything at the same time, they're actually going to hit the ground at the same time because gravity is acting on them the same. Just one bullet's going to do it a long way from here. All things being equal. It might have been in a vacuum or something. I just remember whatever it was, right? So here's the thing, I'm sitting there and here's a man, educated, has knowledge. I now have that knowledge in my head, but I got this buddy of mine next to me. And he says, um, but you know, class is over. Now, this is an expert. And my buddy says, I don't believe that. Now, he knows about it. He's able, he, he can quote it. In fact, when the test came up, he marked the test correctly. When asked about it, he knew how to parrot the right answer. But he didn't actually believe the answer. Y'all hear you going home. Okay, so go with me to, uh, I want to show you this in Scripture. Go with me to um, uh, John chapter 11. Now for the sake of time, let's see, let me sure, okay. For the sake of time, we'll just, just go along with that Lazarus is dead, okay. Rather than getting into the, getting to all these things. And um, uh, he tells his disciples, he, he says, uh, we're going to go wake him up. They said, boss, he's asleep. And, he, you know, there's been folks trying to kill you. We should probably not be doing this. And if he's asleep, he'll just rest and get up. Finally, Jesus says in verse 14, um, he says, Lazarus is dead. I'm glad for your sakes that I am not there, that you may believe Nevertheless, let us go to him. If words didn't matter, I find it interesting that why didn't he just start off by saying words, or Lazarus was dead? Um, a lot of times people say, well, it doesn't really matter what you say. Well, then why didn't he just say this to start with? And then why did after he say it, he immediately undid it? But then notice what happens next. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, uh, said to his fellow disciples, let us, all go, uh, let us go, also go that we may die with him. It's an interesting statement. Let me just camp here for just a moment. Um, all of us in here know somebody that loved God, that uh, believed in Jesus, might, might, and was, uh, you know, you might even know somebody that was believing in healing, and, or said they believed in healing, or they were praying to get healed and they died. 
Just because somebody is committed to Jesus does not mean they trust Jesus. Now listen to what I just said. Just because somebody is committed to Him does not mean they trust Him and believe what He says. You say, what are you talking about? He just said we're going to go wake him up. He's already told him, as long as I walk in the light, I cannot be made to stumble. In other other words, as long as I keep staying in the light, they're not going to be able to kill me. We don't have to worry about that. And what's his response? Is he committed? Yeah. I'm going to go die with him. But we're all going to die. This whole thing about about he can't be made to stumble, guys, we're all going to die. I don't know what he's thinking But I'm committed. I am sold out to Jesus. But I don't trust this whole bit about we're not going to die. We're going to die. Because sometimes people say, well, they love Jesus with all their heart. So what? It doesn't mean they trusted Him. It doesn't mean they believed Him. It doesn't mean that they laid hold of what He said. They could have been just like Thomas. I love you. I'm willing to die for you. Well, by my stripes you were healed. I I, I don't believe that. We're all going to die. That's what he said, right? I'm just reading, folks. Um, So, anyway. So he goes on here. Now, this is is where it starts to get interesting. So when Jesus came and found he was already in uh, in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary. That's Lazarus' sisters. To comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, even now, I know that whatever you ask God, he will give you. Wow, what a woman of faith. Right? Yeah, I wish you'd have been here, because if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. But Lord, I believe, even now, God will give you whatever you ask. God is able. I believe that you are, you know, you're in this and God listens to you. I believe that when you pray, God hears you. Nobody, not, not right now, maybe a little later. So... Hey, if you ever want to mess with people and you're standing up in front of uh, something like this, you can go, okay, Google. And then all of a sudden, everybody's phone started. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm not talking to you. So, um, okay, so she, is she saying the right things? Is she? Now, I mean, this, is, this sounds pretty faith-filled. If you'd have been here, I believe you actually ha- would have had the power to keep him alive and... I believe that even now, whatever you ask God, He will give you. This sounds pretty good. Am I the only one who thinks this sounds good? Does she she know about Jesus? Yeah. Does she know about Him? Yeah. Does she know that He has an active, productive prayer life? Evidently. Does she know what to say to Him? Yes. Let's keep going. Then it says this. Um, he, she says, Lord, even now, he goes, your brother will rise. Martha said to him, 
I know that he will rise in the last day in the resurrection. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Something that's interesting about religion, religion is willing to believe as long as it's not today. Someday. Yeah, I, I believe that. I believe that. Someday. Today. Mm, might not be the will of God. So now he, he says to her, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now that's an interesting statement. Because this woman started off with, I believe that God will give you whatever you ask. I believe if you'd have been here, you'd kept him, uh, he, you could have kept him from dying. He says who he is. She says, I believe he'll raise in the last day. He says, I am the last day. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Now, why is he asking this question? I mean, I thought she was sold out. I thought she was the woman that was like, yes, if you'd have been here, she wouldn't have died. You can ask God for anything, and he'll give it to you. Yes, he'll be arriving the last day. Do you believe this? And now notice her response. She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way. Now here's a question. There was a man that said these things to Jesus. And when he said them to Jesus, Jesus stops and says, Blessed art you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father who is in heaven. So she has evidently heard this somewhere. It wasn't the Father that necessarily revealed this, because Jesus makes absolutely no response. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, come into the world. And Jesus looks at her. And then as soon as she says this, what does she do? She leaves. And then secretly goes, calls her sister. Now, now notice this. <laughs> then when he had said, she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary her sister, saying, Teach, the teacher has come and is calling for you. When did that happen? Now, and, and notice that the teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose and came to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Here's a question for you. Why is he still sitting there? He didn't come just to wait there. Evidently, in this conversation with Martha, he just does not feel a release to just keep going. He, he figured, I got to wait right here. And evidently Martha knew he was going to wait right there because that's where he, she sent Mary. Secretly. Now that's interesting, isn't it? She doesn't want anybody to know that Jesus has shown up. Why? Well, let me ask you a question. Could it be that she's heard what, Jesus, what happens when Jesus shows up to the house when you've got a dead person? And I'm not talking about them being raised up. I'm talking about him throwing your kinfolks out of the house. Remember at uh, J. Iris' house? He throws everybody out of the house. Right? Get out. Now let me ask you a question. If your daughter was at the point of death and dying, the people that are in your house, 
are they the people you met at Walmart today? Or are these the people closest to you, your in-laws, your mom, your dad? So what happened when Jesus showed up and they weren't talking and believing the way he wanted to talk and believe? He grabbed mom and daddy and said, get out. See, this is where a lot of people would miss their miracle. Because what they would do, if Pastor Sid showed up and said, you need to throw, I'm going to throw your mom and dad out of here because their mouth is speaking against what God wants to do. Be like, Pastor, you can't, you can't throw my mom and daddy out of here. I got to live with these people. That's my mom and daddy. No, you can't do that. I would have to, do you know what kind of problem I'm going to have? Yeah, you'll have a problem, but you'll also have a daughter. Make a choice. Make a choice. So it could be that she's heard about this. And she does not want him coming in with all of her friends, with all of these people, and doing what Jesus could do. Are you with me? People say, well, I don't know that I agree with that. Then what is she doing? Why is she doing this secretly? Why is he still waiting there? Why did she go to him rather than come here? Why doesn't she take him by the hand if she believes that God will give him whatever she asks and lead him to the tomb? Why didn't she go to the tomb and say, hey, guys, get that stone rolled away. Jesus has just shown up. Okay. So he goes on here and it says, now Jesus had come into town but it was in the place where Martha had met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house, because Mary's going to run down, comforting her. And when they saw Mary, rose quickly and went out and followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was he, and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? You know, sometimes people think because our emotions are going against us that we're actually in doubt and unbelief. That might not, it could just be your feelings going the wrong direction. And what do you have to do? Keep moving in the right direction. Where have you, let, where have you laid him? So she takes him down here and then she says, uh, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then when the, there's a lot I could teach just out of this, but we're, we have a particular subject we're on. See how he loved him, and some of them said, could not this mind, man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning within himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was laid against it. Then Jesus said, take away the stone. And then the woman of faith and power speaks up. Martha... The sister of him who was dead said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. So she knows what to say. She knows when to say it. She, can, she, she knows how to parrot the right things. She knows it. But then when it comes to the day... That it is no longer about what you know in your head, but what you believe in your heart. She's like, I am not there. People say, well, how do you know that? Because if she honestly believed that I believe even now God will give you whatever you ask, she would have called 
for the stone to be rolled away. She would have been the one going, hallelujah, he's going to ask. She's the one that would have been standing up saying, praise God, he's about to speak and everything's about to change. After all, he is the resurrection and the life. He is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. Yes, get that stone away. Not time out. Can we talk a minute? Why? Because you can know something. You can know what to say. You can know when to say it. You can pass the test when asked. But you don't actually believe it. And you do not want to find out that you don't believe it when you're standing at the tomb. You need to find it out early and solve the problem. So by the time you get to the tomb, you are ready to stand up and say, Roll away the stone. I don't just know about Him being the resurrection and the life. I actually believe that He is the resurrection and the life. And see, what happens to a lot of people, honestly, in, in a time of tragedy, is, is that they've come, become confronted with the fact that I knew about it, I just didn't believe it. And you've got to be, you have to believe it. And so now we're going to talk about how to know and believe the love of God. Not just being able to write it on signs or put it on bumper stickers or be able to tell somebody else. But at 2 o'clock in the morning when you need to, you need to be able to open the tomb, you will be ready to open the tomb. Are you all with me? Alright, so that's where we're going. Now, let's also discuss this because there's a lot, actually a lot of dangers to not believing the love of God. It's dangerous not to believe the love of God. And it'll put, you into, it'll put you into a problem. One of the first things that you've got to understand about not believing the love of God is it will, you will give place to false doctrine. You'll begin to... Here, go with me to... Um, uh, let's see. Uh, Luke chapter 11. Now, okay... When I was coming up, I, I did go to church when I was younger. I'd, gone, I'd gotten, a, when I was a young, and they were all Baptist churches, I think, except for maybe one. And um, I gotten, I'd gone to vacation Bible school twice, got thrown out twice, and um, then went to a, 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 um, another church when I was in the ninth grade for a short period of time. Now, one thing I did learn at, at the Baptist, I learned about, about salvation. But then it was funny because one of the other things that I learned was is that the baptism, that you should never ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit because if you asked for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you never knew what you were going to get. And then generally they would end up telling this story. And this was at three different Baptist churches. Now, they would act like this happened last week. I knew this preacher recently. That um, he was over in a, a foreign land. And uh, so he's there and he's ministering. And he hears this person that was supposedly speaking in tongues. But really they understood the language. And that that person was cursing God. In that language. Right? Now what I did not know before I went into the ministry. was Is that they were telling this story 60 years ago. Funny thing. No matter who I've heard this story from, nobody actually knows any of the people involved. They just know the story. Right? And so it makes you terrified to ask for the Holy Spirit because, my God, I could end up speaking in another tongue and I might be speaking Swahili and be cursing God. 
right? Now, how do you get there? Well, let's look at what this says. In this, we're in uh, verse 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who seeks, uh, excuse me, for everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from a father among you, will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he were to ask for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you being evil, and the answer is no, right? Not, not a good daddy. The answer is no. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? What's another way you could say this? There is, if you being evil would not allow your kids to get something that would harm them, why is it that you being evil, having a father in heaven who loves you this much, why in the world would you ever believe that you could ask for the Holy Spirit and God would not keep you from getting a serpent or a scorpion? And why should you believe this? Because he loves you. You, in your own evilness, know that's wrong and wouldn't do it to your kids because you love them. How much more your heavenly father? But why would anybody believe that? Why would they buy into the false doctrine that somehow I could get a, some spirit speaking Swahili and be cursing God? Because you don't believe God loves you. And when people stand up, you know, uh, used to, years ago, one of the big things that I used to, to decide whether I was going to uh, keep a Bible translation or not is I would read about Paul's thorn in the flesh. Because some Bible translations actually say that, you know, he asked for, uh, that he was sick and that God, he asked God to, to do something about it. And um, he said, no, it'll just say in there, no, no, you got to keep it, this is going to help you. And I just don't read those translations because they're not accurate. Paul's thorn in the flesh was not sickness and disease. And there's nowhere in Scripture that thorns have ever been sickness and disease. That's just, that's, that's crazy. But why do people believe that? Because they don't believe God loves them. They believe that God is a God somehow that you would have a problem, you would ask for help, and he'd look at you and say, No. By the way, he did not tell Paul no. He told him how to handle it. He said, you need to lean on my grace rather than you trying to solve the problem. He didn't say no. Now, but why would somebody believe that? Because you don't believe God loves you. You, you somehow think that God, somehow God would say no. What about healing? It's not God's will to heal everybody. You know, God gives some people sickness. Really? You being evil, would you do that? If you had the capacity to strike your children with cancer, if you had the capacity to strike them with some sickness or disease, are you telling me that you, being evil, would do that? No. That's insane. Right? To even think that a good father, now I know there's some bozos out there, but I'm talking about good fathers, wouldn't do it. So why in the world would you believe that your heavenly father would do it? And then people come up with this, because I, I remember I was on television um, years ago. And um, I got on television, and I said all sickness and disease was a curse. And some Yahoo, in um, their infinite wisdom, wrote me a letter and said, How dare you say that all sickness and disease is a curse? 
Because only you in your finite mind can't understand that God could use sickness as a blessing. And you just, in your finite man, mind, could not understand that. And I wrote back and I said, I'm not the one who said all sickness and disease was a curse. Every, sick, every sickness and every disease that is not written in this book is under the curse of the law. Every sickness and every disease. So would these people come in? But why would somebody believe some stupid thing like God, God will put this sickness on you because it's really a blessing? Because you don't believe he loves you. And you're evil compared to him. Are you with me? Do you know that when you don't believe of the love of God, you become open to manipulation? Some, some man says to a young lady, you need to compromise yourself and what you believe. Because if you loved me, you would. And when the lady begins to realize that I'm loved by Almighty God, I don't know who you think you are, but my love bucket is full. And if you love me, you wouldn't ask me to compromise my principles. You are the problem, not me. And then people, people all the time, if, not taking it to that extreme, people all the time are willing to compromise who they are to receive love. To go along with things to receive love. And all of that comes back to you don't believe the love of God. Because if you understood this, your love bucket is full. You don't need somebody else to love you. Someone far greater than me and anyone else in here looked at you and said, I love you, I value you, I prize you, I am willing to give my very best for you, I will withhold nothing to come get you. And then you could look and say, you know what, I can just be me. Because I don't have to live for your opinion. of any, Because somebody greater than you has looked at me and loved me. See, it's dangerous not to believe the love that God has for you. It puts you to a place you just can't be yourself. i got to put on a front to get Pastor Sidney to like me. There is a freedom once you realize that God loves you. And you actually believe it. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't really like you. <laughs> Too bad. That's, that's somebody far greater than you thinks I'm awesome. Well, we won't be friends anymore. That's okay. I've got a friend that never leaves me, never forsakes me. I don't have to compromise myself. Are you with me? See, this is why you have to begin to actually not just know about the love of God, but believe it. Now, okay, let's, uh, let's look at this. Go with me to uh, Genesis. Are y'all getting anything out of this? Genesis chapter 3. All right. Genesis chapter 3, this is, um, the woman is in the garden. Well, they're both in the garden. We'll start in verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit uh, of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. I don't know where she got the don't touch it part. Verse 4, then the serpent said to the woman, you shall not die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, 
knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and was pleasant to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. You know, a lot of times um, people, some ministers have tried to give the illustration that, that woman that women were the reason, you know, I heard a preacher say one time, where would God, where would man be without women? And one man, preacher turned around and said, still in the garden. And um, the problem with that is, is that they act like when God, when Adam, Eve took the, the fruit, that Adam was in the back 40 someplace, right? And he's just working, he's working some trees in the back and then all of a sudden, what just happened? Seems like everything's changed. Eve, what have you done? But that wasn't what happened, right? He was standing right there. He could have said no. He could have dealt with this. It wasn't the woman's fault. The Bible says the woman was deceived. The man was not. man knew what was going on. Okay, so how do you, how do you take a person who is perfect, who already has fame, they're the most famous person on the earth. Already has wealth. They're the wealthiest person on the earth. How do you convince that person to turn their back on God and sin against Him? What are you going to tempt them with because they already have everything? The devil begins to explain to them that you are actually in an adversarial relationship with God. God is not actually for you. The reason that you can't eat of that tree is because the day you eat of that tree, God, God doesn't want you to eat of that tree. He is, he is completely opposed to that because He doesn't want you to be like Him and know what He knows. He's holding out on you. He is holding out on you and he doesn't want you to have these things. Now, here's, here's the interesting, you say it a big lie. It was a huge lie. Because there's a couple problems with this whole temptation. They are already like God. <laughs> they are in his image and in his likeness. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Right? Now, let me ask you a question. With almost with, with uh, being monotonous in uh, Genesis chapter 1, what do, we know about, um, what do we know about the creation? God created and saw and it was? And God created and saw and it was? God created and saw and it was? Okay, so what's the temptation? You will be like God, you will know good, and you'll know evil. He convinced them that they didn't have what they already had. They are already like God, and they already have the knowledge of good. What's the only thing they did not have? But how did they get to the place that they blew it? Because they, he was able to convince them... God is not actually for you. Now, how did that happen? They didn't believe that God loved them. Because what would have been the solution? Wait, wait, wait just a second. Excuse me. Have, have you seen this garden? 
You're talking about one tree. None of this. All this, I didn't earn any of this. When I arrived here in this Garden of Eden, this Garden of Voluptuous Living, you're talking about one tree. Have you seen the thousands of other trees that I am able to eat off of? Have you seen what God has given me? Do you know that He allowed me to name all of this stuff? He didn't do it Himself. Do you know that He comes down and we walk together and He explains to me about life? If God does not want me to eat of that tree, this person who is completely in love with me, there's a reason I shouldn't eat of that tree. Of all the people, of all the things that could be holding out on me, He is not one of them. Because He, everything I have, He has given to me freely. I didn't plant a single tree here. I didn't, I didn't do any of this. I didn't create a single animal. He did all of this for me. So, I don't care what that tree does. If He doesn't want me to eat it. He has shown me. He is sold out for my good. Everything here was for me. So no, I'm not going to eat of your stinking tree. Because if He says it, if, if it was help me, I would already be able to eat off of it. Because the one who created it is in love with me. Why do people sin? Why do people commit adultery? Because they don't believe that God will give them the relationship they desire within the confines of marriage. Why do people lie? Because they don't believe God loves them enough to, to protect them if they tell the truth. Why do people steal? Because they don't believe that God loves them enough to provide for them. Why do they covet? Because they think somehow there's a lack and God will give to Pastor Sid but would not give to me. Let's just go down through them. Why, why do people do this? How to, and think about how the devil tries to convince you that you don't have what you already have, that what love has already provided. You're not, he, you're not healed and you're not going to get healed. Love has already provided healing. He's already provided it. You're not going to get your rent or your mortgage paid. It's already been provided. Wisdom, already been provided. Strength, already been provided. Peace, already been provided. And I didn't get any of it. It was all given to me freely. Because he was in love with me. It was given to you freely because he was in love with you. But see, you can tell when people don't believe the love of God because they enter into an adversarial relationship. You can listen to them pray. Remember me walking the floor, right, with my Bible? Now, I still walk the floor with my Bible. I just do it for a different reason. When I originally walked the floor with my Bible, I, I, had my, I had my law book, right? And I was going to present my case. Because I had to convince him to help me. That's adversarial. I'm acting like I've got to convince him to help me. When he was so convinced to help me, before I was ever born, Jesus died for me and purchased everything for me. And how shall he who did not freely give up his son not freely give me all things? God is not a hard sell. In fact, one of the things you're going to find out about Jesus over these next few days is, is that the Jesus most people uh, think doesn't actually exist in who He is. You know, um, okay, 
I didn't want to get into this tonight, but let's, let's just go for a couple of diagnostics, right? I got a couple of diagnostics for you. Have you ever been in here and you've made a deal with God? Like, Lord, if you'll just do this for me, I'll do this for you, right? If you ever felt the need to make a deal with God, you don't believe how much God loves you. And I'll prove that tomorrow night. What about this? Lord, if you would just help me, I will glorify your name and it will bring glory to you. What does that say about him? Well, no, I really didn't want to help you. But if it will bring glory to me, you know, I might consider it. Let, let, me, let me put it to you in a, like a regular term. Jake comes to me and says, Kurt, could you help me? Could you help me move? I don't know, Jake. I, I don't really like helping people move. But I tell you what, I, what you'll do. What's that highway we were on? The that interstate? Jake, if you'll go down to 283 and you will buy a billboard that says, Kurt Owen is awesome, <laughs> that I glorify Kurt Owen's name, that Kurt is the greatest man I have ever met, then I will consider helping you move. What does that say about our relationship? I'm only going to help you if there's something in it for me. Are you all here? I got to make a deal with you because you just won't help me to help me. There's got to be something in it for me before I help Jake. What is it you think you have to offer God? Do you think he's sitting there saying, yeah, I got these guys flying around and go holy, holy, holy all the time. But you know what I really want? I want, I want you to do it. And uh, I, I just need a little bit more glory. I'm just not, just not feeling glorified today. So, I mean, come on now. What, what about begging God? God, you have to help me. Please help me. Please help me. You've got to. Okay, let me ask you this. Um, what if, let's say one of Pastor Sid's kids came in. Any of them. Pastor Sid's talking to you. And one of them comes in and lays, says, uh, say it's Carson. Carson comes in and goes, Daddy, please, Daddy. I'm so thirsty. I feel like I'm about to die, Daddy. Please. You gotta help me, Daddy. I'm begging you, Daddy. Can I have some water? Please, Daddy. What, what would that say about their dad? Your kid does not even feel comfortable enough just walking up asking for water. Just some water. What kind of man are you that your kids feel as though they have to beg and plead to get any help from you? Are you with me? Amen. By the way, the reason I used water is because Jesus said that healing was akin to giving an animal water. Two things Jesus made healing about, bread and water, right? He said, who would take away their donkey and not lead him to water? Remember the woman that was bowed over, Right? He says it's no different than just giving water. Not a steak. 
Not, not an expensive, you know, soft drink or something else. It's just water. He also likened it into bread. Do you know that even in the old days, they used to give prisoners bread and water? It's not a complicated thing for him. Why do you feel the need to beg? Because you don't believe he loves you. Now I'm going to start stepping on some toes. I've been polite up to this point. <clears throat> now I want you to hear what I'm saying. And don't hear what I'm not saying. Why do you ask people to pray for you? Now I believe in praying for people. Uh, Pastor Sidney's one of my prayer partners. We pray about things. He prays for me. He's one of the few people I'll allow to pray for me. And he, we also pray, we pray with each other. But there's a problem with the reason most people do it. They're asking you to pray, the pastor to pray, because they do not believe that God would do it for them. I'm, I'm going to ask Pastor Sid to pray because I really don't believe God would do it for me, but I believe He'd do it for him. So will you pray for me? Why? Well, because I, I'm, not, I'm not convinced God would do it for me, but I believe he'll do it for you because, like, you're the pastor. What about this? We need to, we need to start the prayer chain going, or however you dress it up. And we're going to start the prayer chain going, which I believe in prayer chains. I'm okay with them. But here's the problem. Are you, are you convinced that if we get 100 people to pray that somehow God is moved by poles? That if I can get all you guys to pray... That somehow that's somehow going to move God when my prayer will not. That God somehow is like he's sitting there taking a poll. I was thinking about helping Kurt. Let's see. Let's take a poll. How many people think I should help Kurt? How many people? You know, when Saddam Hussein, when we were getting ready to go into Iraq, some yo-yo stood up and said, God has told us that uh, if we can get one million people praying, then... Saddam will like turn himself in or I don't remember what he was going to do. You know, you do know what that means, right? With a God that is honorable to every jot and every tittle. Right? That he, he fulfills even the, the least little bit. Are you telling me that, that, that God is going to say, well, listen, here's the problem. You know, I'd love to do it for you. But you've got 900, 9,999 and I said a million. And so, no, I'm, I'm not going to do it. Now, if you, if you can find one more. But see, people don't even go, in their own life, it's like, listen, I've got to get everybody praying. We've all got to get together and pray. You know what's the problem with that, with you personally? And by the way, I, I want to be clear. I'm not saying we should not pray for each other. I'm not saying we shouldn't. But there is a difference between we, us joining faith together and me turning my faith over to Him. And saying, God doesn't love me enough to hear me, but I believe he'll hear you. Because let me ask you a question. What happens if you get off somewhere where the phones don't work? And you can't get a hold of anybody. You have to have confidence. My father loves me even in the midst of a desert. If I can't get a hold of anybody, my father will help me just because it's me. Because my father is in love with me. Are you here? You are not in an adversarial relationship with God. God is not a hard sell. We'll, we'll cover more of this as we go along. But uh, where is this Jesus that he demands you fast and pray before he helps? And I believe in fasting and I believe in prayer. I just want to be clear. But, I mean, the, the Jesus we see is the Jesus that the guy walks up and says, um, 
My servant is lying at home grievously tormented. I will come and heal him. What? <laughs> no, no, no. We're going to bombard the gates of heaven tonight. No, we're, we're going you know, to fast for seven days just for you to think you'll consider it. And is that the kind of God he is? Is like you, you, you th- throw a hunger strike and he can be moved by that? Listen, I'm, gl- I'm grateful he's not moved by polls because I've had some people poll against me. I'm glad he is not moved by polls. Do you, do you realize David said this? That uh, though an army would encamp against me, in you I will be confident. What's another way of saying that? I got all these people wanting my demise. They took a poll. And they had plenty of people say I ought to die. But it doesn't matter, God, because you're in love with me and you will help me. You've got to both know and believe the love of God. Let me show you some, one other, what time is it? So, I'm trying to figure out with the, with the worship at the end. Okay, let, let me show you one other thing. Go with me to, um, and this, this is actually a huge issue. Go with me to Ephesians. All right. Ephesians chapter 3. Now, for those of you who are partners with the ministry, this is part of a prayer that we pray over you guys every day. Um, And we're going to be in verse 14. It says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family on heaven and earth is named, that you would grant... uh, Excuse me, I'm used to praying. For he, he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now notice this, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height, and that you know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. Why? That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now that's interesting why he's praying this. He needs you to have a revelation of the love of God and be rooted and grounded in it so that you can be filled with all the fullness of God. A lot of times people say this, and, and I'm and Pastor, please go with what Pastor Sidney says. Don't don't listen to me, listen to him. But I hear people say, Well, faith works by love, and so if you're not loving, then your faith won't work. Well, my question is, is then what do we do over also in Corinthians? It says that if you have faith to move mountains, and evidently you're moving mountains and have not love. What do we do about that? See, let's go back to where I was at. I had a covenant. I knew I had a covenant. I knew that I had faith, but faith was difficult because I did not believe God's love. Knew about it, didn't believe it. And so now faith is becoming difficult, and my faith is having difficulty operating Because I am not rooted and grounded in his love for me. So it's always a fight. Because I think I've got to convince him to help me. See, when this says this, that you have to be rooted and grounded in love, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. To the measure that God can move into your life is in direct correlation to how much you will allow him to. And how much you will allow him to has a lot to do with how much you believe his love. And a lot of people will not let God move because they don't believe how much he loves them. Centurion was an excellent example of this. Right? Let's, let's just turn there right quick. 
Do I got a few more minutes? I'm, I'm trying to figure out how this works. Go with me to um, uh, Matthew chapter 8. Verse 5 says, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And what does Jesus say? I will come and heal him. Evidently, he's not a hard sell. Yeah, I'm coming. But here's what happens next. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. Let's just stop right there for a second. Okay. So, think about how this worked, right? The centurion walks up to Jesus and says, I have a servant dreadfully tormented at home. And so Jesus says, all right, let's go, let's go. And, and so the centurion stops. Now Jesus is already, he's headed. And the centurion goes, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. That's really weird. Because the guy you're talking to is actually the authority on your worthiness. And he has already said, I'm coming. Let's go. And now you are saying, uh-uh. No. Why? Because he didn't believe that God loved him enough to come to his house. Even though Jesus himself said, I'm willing to come. Yeah, I'm not worthy. Well, Jesus doesn't know that. Because Jesus just said, I will come. Do you know that there are people that cry out to God for help and then disqualify themselves in their own thinking? Oh God, I need help. I need healing, Lord. I need healing. But God, I've been terrible. I've done this. I've done that. I'm not worthy that you should do it. I sometimes wonder, well, why are you asking? And I know, I, I know why they're asking, because I've been that person. And you're asking because you're desperate. But then in your mind, you're like cutting the whole thing off. No, I, 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 I'm not going to get healed because I, I, of everything I've done. And yet Jesus is sitting there saying, I love you more than I hate your sin. And I people have said, that's not true. God does not love you more than he hates your sin. You better hope he does, because if not, Jesus never would have shown up. You know, all these people who say that, you know, they believe the love of God, and, they say, and if I say God loves, loves you more than he hates your sin, I've had people fight with me over this. No, God hates sin. He cannot look upon sin. So then how do you fulfill John 3.16? For God so loved the who? I, it didn't say the church. It didn't say the Christians. It was the world. Do you remember what Ephesians chapter 2 says the world was like before Jesus split the sky? What does it say? It says that they were all had the life and the nature of the devil. They were all under the wicked one. It was those people that he looked at and said, I love you more than what you're doing right now. So much so I will give of myself. So you know what he looked at you? What's another way of saying it? I love you more than I hate you. By the way, did you, get, did you get saved after you got everything together? And God says, okay, you're good enough now. I'll help you. It's not the way it worked, was it? So if God doesn't love you more than he hates your sin, you couldn't get saved because you can't clean yourself up clean enough to get to where the point that he would help you. That's like the reason religion says this, all this junk about God does not, uh, God cannot work in an unclean vessel. 
He doesn't have any other kind. I'm not talking about being the righteousness of God in Christ. It says the vessel, not who you are on the inside. The vessel. There was only one perfect man. The rest of us have been unclean vessels. The rest of us have made mistakes. The rest of us have done stupid stuff. And yet he says, I still love you. I will still help you right now, here, today. It's religion that says differently. And see, this is what happens when you're not filled with the fullness of God. The reason you're not filled with the fullness of God is because you don't understand how much he loves you. And so you're always disqualifying yourself. Well, I need help, but I've done this. I need help, but I've done that. Yeah, and now, and we start getting into all these things because I know the mistakes I've made. And yet, if you could get to the place where you understood, I have been really, really stupid. And I'm going to repent right now. And it's not uh, going to be six weeks before he'll help me. He'll help me today. Because he loves me more than the mistake I've made. And see, once you begin, you begin to allow God to be who he's always wanted to be when you will begin to understand how much he loves you. You will begin to say, you know what? I'm going to start taking the limits off. People say, well, you can't limit God. I don't know what Bible you've read. People have been limiting God from the beginning. In Jesus' own hometown, he would not do any mighty work. He could not do any mighty work. Because of their unbelief. They limited him. He wanted to do more and they said no. When he shows up at Gadara. And he he didn't come just to uh, help the crazy naked fella. He showed up. He was going to be doing some meetings. And the Gadarans said get out of here. You've killed all our pigs. Get in the boat. Get out of here. He he didn't want to show up just to to help that guy. He was going to help all the ten cities. And what did they say? No. No, leave. Get in the boat. Get out of here. They limited him. We limit him all the time because we put a limit on him because we think he can't really be that good. He can't really be that in love. But the strange thing is, he is. And so what we're going to do over the next couple nights is if you've identified where you've got some challenges... You're like Martha, you're standing at the tomb, it's, which is fine. At least we know it now, and we can start working through it. We're going to go through what the Scriptures actually say, and you're going to see yourself in these Scriptures, and you're going to see how Jesus wants to treat you. And then I believe that you're going to begin to believe it. I believe you're going to begin to receive from God. Not only that, your intimacy with God will increase, because instead of running from Him, you'll run to Him, because you'll realize that He's in love. Did y'all get something out of this tonight? Listen, invite somebody because this is something, there's too many times I've sat at the bed, next to the bed of saints who were, it was time for them to leave by their own choice. But they lingered. There's not supposed to be any sting to death for us as a believer. It's supposed to be completely removed. But there are believers that have gotten stung by death Because they lingered in the earth. Because they were afraid of the conversation they were going to have with Jesus. They had lived their entire lives for Him. And yet, when they should have just stepped over, they were afraid. I think probably at least five times that I know of, including some people very close to me, the Lord would say to me, 
uh, they would be lingering. Some of them were conscious. Some of them were already in a, in a state. Uh, my grandmother, uh, my grandmother had witnessed to me even as a child and things like that. She, you know, and she was praying for me. But it came, she was 90-something and it was time for her to go. And she had been in the hospice for two weeks. And she's just lingering there. And uh, the Lord, I was, I was elsewhere. I was uh, some other part of the world. By the way, I'll talk tomorrow night about how your giving as a church has, has cha- literally changed the world this year because you've made it possible that churches still exist because of you. Ministers and their families ate. Orphans ate because of you. And uh, several different parts of the world. But So my grandmother's laying there. Now, my grandmother was already... Um, she, she was uh, comatose, I guess is what you call it. And I talked to the Lord about it. I'd just flown in. And um, the Lord, uh, I was talking to the Lord about it. And he says, um, she's afraid of the conversation we're going to have. She knows she didn't do some things I told her to do. And she doesn't, she's afraid of how the conversation's going to go. And then I said, well, what am I supposed to do about it? He goes, well, her spirit man is still awake and alive on the inside of her. Just go in and sit down and talk to her. And he says, Talk to her about me and talk to her about heaven. And I sat down on the side of her bed. I was there for about a half an hour. And I said, uh, Grandmother, I, I need... Now, she, she's, she's completely out of it. But her spirit man's still there. Yeah. So I said, Grandmother, listen. Um, I started ministering to her about heaven, went over some things. I said, now, I know you're concerned about this conversation with Jesus. He's told me. He wants you to know that he doesn't have anything against you that there are, will be some things you'll have to discuss. But He loves you and He'll be waiting with you with open arms. That He is not angry with you. That there'll be some correction. But it will not, you will be in the presence of somebody who loves you and wants you to be there. And is looking forward to seeing you face to face. And that He loves you more than any mistake you've made. I get done talking to her. I walked out, I think my aunt was there. I, I'm trying to remember who else was there. I know my mom was there, and I said to my mom, I said, she'll be gone here soon. She's gone in half an hour. Why did she linger? She didn't believe how much. And she allowed death to sting her because she was afraid of the Of all the people you have to be afraid of in your life, Jesus is not one of them. Even if he corrects you. Now, you need to be concerned about the conversation. Uh, You know, as long as you're still healthy, strong, you need to be concerned. I I live my life thinking about the conversation he and I are going to have. And I don't waste time foolishly anymore. But on the other side of it, if you're there and it's time, if you're going to leave, don't stay here. Don't let the devil sting you. Go ahead, step on over. Work things out over there. But know he's in love with you. He's not against you. But if you're here, you need to get established in this now so that you can be a light of his love to all peoples. And you can allow Jesus to shine through you and be filled with all the fullness of God. Not just a little. But let Him be everything He wants to be to you and you take the limits off. But to do that, you have to become convinced of how much He loves you. You must be rooted and grounded in it. And then, I guarantee you, by the time we're done here on Wednesday, faith will come much, much easier. Because faith works by love. And it's His love, having confidence in His love for you. Amen? Did y'all get something out of this? Praise God. Pastor. Right, our worship team can come. Isn't that a good, good word? Wow. I feel like 
Yeah. <laughs> like a lot of light is coming in. So we are going to take and remember what Jesus did for us, the blood that he spilled for us, and the body that he took a beating on for you and I's life and health. And so during worship, um, John, I'm going to let you kind of, is there a certain song that you had for communion for people to come through? There is now? Okay. So uh, at John's signal, um, we'll start over here on the front row on this side, and if you would just file through and go around, and then, then we'll hop over to this side and we'll have you all go through and take the bread, take the cup, and, um, and then we'll all take it together once you're back at your seat. One more thing. So Pastor was talking about having conversations with Jesus. And that that's going to be a good day. <laughs> Not something that we're afraid of. But instead, something that it's a day he's looking forward to. And it's, so if you have any loved one that has gone on before you and gone to heaven, you know, when you think about the time they're having now, the thing they're experiencing now, it takes away any pain from the parting. It just alleviates it. And I just uh, received news a little bit ago that uh, Leo Neff passed away today. And so he's now with Jesus. soon and very soon it's going to be you and me we're going to be there face to face hey you remember that time back when <laughs> right so let's worship him my spirit is that we go ahead and take communion now and then afterwards we can do some rejoicing is that all right Proceed. The more I seek you, the more I find you. The more I find you, the more I love you. Tell tonight, the more I seek you.
Father, being willing to give his most valuable possession for you. Paul said in Romans, there's nothing else that he wouldn't give for you. Jesus gave his blood because he loved the Father. And the Father loved you. He gave his body for our physical healing. So if you need healing in your body tonight, what I like to do is I like to take the bread and break it between my fingers 
remind myself of the broken flesh of Jesus. And so then take it and believe that you receive God's power and healing power inside you. Father, thank you so much that you were willing to send Jesus to pay the price to redeem us, to call us by name. Thank you for the healing power that you've made available. The price is paid. Father, we receive it right now. We're so grateful to you for providing it for us. So be healed in Jesus' mighty name. And then after, after he'd done that with the disciples, Jesus took the cup and, you know, he, he blessed it and he thanked God for it, for the opportunity. And he said, it's the new covenant. So what you have belongs to God and what he has belongs to you. That's what covenant does. To just take and receive from the Father new life. Father, thank you that you've washed away. You've cleansed us of our sins. You've given us your own righteousness. And you've put it on us. Father, we bless you and we thank you for the garments of salvation that you've clothed us with. Father, we thank you that you are so good and you're awesome in every way. That you call us children. That we can call you Papa. Father, we bless you, Lord. We exalt you, Father. You are good. Let's just praise Him. are truly great. We just reverence you, Father. We love you. Father, I ask that you continue to encounter us as we go on to our homes, Lord, as, as we lay in our bed at night. Father, that your revelation and that your light will continue to grow in us. That your seed that was planted tonight in our hearts will find good and fertile ground and bring forth a harvest that brings in a hundredfold. Father, I ask you tonight to have divine encounters with people. Divine encounters with each one. Thank you, Lord, for your faithful love. Your faithful love. We worship you. Lord, I ask that you stir in the hearts of the people of our nation. Those that have not cast a vote yet, Lord, that you move mightily, that you awaken, that you 
bring to people's awareness, that you open eyes and ears to see what's going on. And I thank you, Father. I thank you for freedom and liberty. In Jesus' name. Well, we have a time of fellowship downstairs. Everyone is invited. So uh, be sure to come down. There's some finger foods and um, there's no need to rush out. There was one other thing I needed to say before you go and I'm trying to remember what it was. Tomorrow night we'll be here at 6 p.m. Yeah, there's more meetings, isn't there? We got so much tonight I thought we had it all. So 6 p.m. again tomorrow night we'll be here and um, you'll be able to find these online and go back and listen to them. So uh, go in peace and be blessed. Good evening everyone. Thank you so much for coming to Church of the Word International here at Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I have a question for you this, this evening, tonight. If someone was to take this watch apart, bit by bit, piece by piece, and lay it on a table, and I looked at it and went, oh no, and I gathered it together in one great big heap, would it work? Why not? Why wouldn't it work? Because it wasn't assembled. It has to be assembled correctly to function, doesn't it? In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it says, I'm going to look at verse 24, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. There's something about the assembling of the family of God. You are so important as an individual, and your, your presence is very invaluable important to the body of Christ here at Church of the Word. Amen. So thank you for showing up. Thank you for obeying the Word. Thank you for your faith, saying no to fear, letting the Lord strengthen you in faith and love. Let's all just stand up together and let's thank the Father. Let's thank Him that He's, he's protected us, delivered us, healed us, loved us, kept us in the straight and narrow. And Father, we just thank you for your son, Jesus, the shedding of the blood on the cross for each and every one of us, not only forgiving our sins, but our spirits being recreated, allowing us to be a part of your family, Father, the family of God here on the earth in the flesh. Holy Spirit, we welcome you tonight. We welcome your manifest presence here. We have come to worship you, to love you, to honor you, to exhort you, to magnify you. You are our, our all in all, Jesus. And we submit and surrender to the leading of the Holy Spirit in each, each one of our hearts tonight. 
We have hearts to receive and ears to hear the good word of God, the very whispers of the Holy Spirit. So have your way. And Lord, we just worship you as a family tonight here on the earth. We worship you and thank you from our hearts. Amen. Good evening and welcome to Church of the Word International. We'd like to welcome everyone that's here tonight. If you're here for the first time, can you raise your hand so we can recognize you? Anyone here for the very first time? All right. We're so glad to have you with us, Pat. Kurt Owen brought a friend with him and we're having a good time getting to know him. Um, If you need a cash envelope for your giving, just raise your hand. Ushers will see that you get it. And we're going to return the tithe to the Lord this evening. And as we return the tithe, I want you to understand that the Lord desires to see you well supplied. That's his heart for you. He's not a God of barely scraped by, you know, barely enough. He's a God of more than enough, a God of plenty. And Psalms 23 just really brings us out so beautifully. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I just want to grab a few phrases out of here. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I lack. Does the Lord want you to lack in any area, in, in any way? No, he does not. It says, he lets me lie down in green pastures. Now, notice he doesn't say, you know, in mostly green with a few tufts of, or mostly brown with a few tufts of green here and there. Green, so like lush fields, like plenty, like beautiful abundance, quiet waters. He says he leads me beside quiet waters. So there's plenty. You can drink till you're satisfied and don't have to hurry along because of danger or, or whatever else. He wants you to have plenty, be satisfied and in peace. Goes on verse five says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. So in the middle of danger, in the middle of pressures, impossible circumstances he can just provide for you you know that if you look into that word uh table it gives the idea of a king's banquet so abundance in the middle of the most impossible circumstances your cup overflows says my cup overflows now how's come he don't say you know mostly full because he's a god of more than enough like just overflowing this is his heart towards you he says surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life Well, what is goodness? If you look into that, here's some definitions in goodness. Good things, benefit, valuable in estimation, rich, bounty, prosperity, prosper. Like, are we seeing a picture here of God's heart? Like, this is his heart towards us. So I just want you to have this um, as you return the tithe. Understand that the Lord wants you to succeed. And, you know, our part to play in this. You know, the blessings of God don't just automatically fall upon you we have a part to play and our part is to act on the word and as we tithe and return the tithe because the the malachi says that that's his you know we can believe that we will be provided for that he is our good shepherd and that we walk in abundance because that's his heart for you amen all right well let's take a hold of our tithe and let's pray over that 
Father, I thank you so much that you are a good shepherd and that your heart is so kind towards us, that you're such a good provider. I just thank you, Lord, for the sources of income represented here in this house. I I thank you for the resources you brought into our hands. And so we gladly return the tithe to you. We call every need met, and we call the people blessed according to your heart and your will. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And the ushers can pass the baskets, and the people will give to the Lord. All right, we have a couple of things. We do have, it says missions uh, Saturday. used to be missions Sunday, but it's now Saturday. So we will be receiving the missions offering soon here. Just a reminder, our CWI fall barn party is coming up next, not tomorrow, but the next Sunday, November 8th at 4 p.m. at the Zimmerman's Barn. So read your bulletin. It gives you some information about bringing chairs and food and going to be a great time. Please sign up if you haven't already. Also, um, just wanted to note a change, something different from the bulletin here. The November Young Family Life Group is meeting on Friday evening, November 13th. So um, disregard the Saturday 14th thing. It's Friday, November 13th. And uh, please let Kelly know if you plan to attend. All right. Pastor, I'll turn it over to you. Hallelujah. Are you glad to be here tonight? Hallelujah. I certainly am. I've been looking forward to tonight for a long time already. And we have been uh, planning to really get a hold of some good things of God. And so if you came with uh, your expectors out, they will be met. All right? Whether you're expecting to not get anything or get a whole lot, your expectations will be met. There's another word for expectation, it's called faith. What are you, where's your faith? What are you expecting? So let's expect good things from the Lord. We are going to, uh, as, as Jen already mentioned, tonight is Mission Sunday, so the last month of every sun, uh, Sunday is Mission Saturday, our, our recent switch. For those of you that are new with us tonight, we recently switched from Sunday morning to Saturday night. Um, for logistical scheduling reasons, and um, we are still in the habit of saying Sunday, I guess. Um, But anyway, the last service of the month, let's put it that way, Saturday night, is our Mission Sunday. And what we do on that particular Sunday is we collect an offering that goes out to missions all around the world, to many of the places of the flags that you see up on the wall. Um, And so any place that you would like your Uh, money to go to, just make sure you designate it to them, and 100% of it goes to them. We don't keep any of it here. It just passes through us, and we send it to uh, wherever you designated it to go. If you don't have a place that you want it to go, but you want to be a part of it, just make it out to uh, our general mission fund, and then as we come across needs and missions, then we'll send it on uh, to those places. So tonight, as I wanted to just give you uh, very quickly a brief rundown of David and what happened at Ziglag. You remember the story of how David comes back to Ziglag, the place they lived with his men, and here the place had been ransacked, burned to the ground, all their wives, children, everything carried off. And so they grieve until they have no more strength to grieve, it says. And, and David's life is even in danger because his guys are considering stoning him. 
Somehow they must have attributed blame to him for this whole thing. And so he goes to the Lord. He encourages himself. He goes to the Lord and he says, should we pursue these guys and go after them or should we not? And the Lord says, yeah, go. You will be victorious. You will win. And so they set out and they take off and they come to like a seasonal stream there. And of his 600 men, 200 men were too exhausted to go any further. So they stayed with some stuff and stayed behind. And, and the other 400 men went on and finally they catch up to the Amalekites. And man, they, they for 24 hours, they like just decimate them. They gather all this plunder. They gather everything that was lost, everything. Plus, these guys had a whole lot of plunder from previous, um, you know, what, wherever they'd been before they got to Ziklag. So they have all this plunder, plus they get all the wives, children, everything. Nobody is lost. And they come back and they meet the guys that had not been able to go with them, but they'd been with the stuff. And the guys that had gone on to battle said, no. Uh, we're not going to divide the plunder with the guys that stayed behind because they didn't go fight with us. So we'll give them their wife and children back, but we're not going to give them any of the possessions. And David goes, nah. And he says this. He says in uh, first, if you're taking notes, First Samuel 30, and he says this in verse 23. But David said, my brothers, you must not do this with what the Lord has given us. He has protected us and handed us over to the raiders who came against us and handed over to us the raiders who came against us. So first of all, David recognizes who the source is. It's the Lord. Yeah. All right. Secondly, he says, he says, the share, he said, who can agree to your proposal? The share of the one who goes into battle is to be the same as the share of the one who remains with the supplies. They will share equally. And so from this day forward, David established this policy as a law and an ordinance in Israel, and it continues to this very day is what it says. And so what I wanted to show you is, because we're talking about missions, is, you know, there's people that are on the other side of the world somewhere. They're the ones that have gone. And you and I are the ones that are behind with the stuff and keeping the supplies and gathering supplies and sending supplies, sending money to them and funding them. But... When it comes to reward, your reward is like their reward, right? It, it's, you, you don't have like, you are connected with what they're doing. If you're enabling them, right, then you are guilty of helping them, guilty of furthering whatever they're doing. Uh, the the good, side of, good way of saying it is there's reward for you. And so I encourage you to turn your faith to receive all that God has for you for what you're doing in Iraq, in Turkey, and all over the Middle East, and in all the countries where you guys have been sending funds out to. Look to the Lord to increase you and expand you to be able to do more than what we've done before. All right, take a hold of your uh, offering and let's pray over it. Father, we thank you that you are so good that you are the God of more than enough. And Father, we present this offering to you to accomplish your will, to fulfill the commission that you've given to us. And Father, we ask that you, every one of these places where we send the funds, I ask you, Lord, to increase them, cause them to be very, very effective in the kingdom and, and for the purpose that you have assigned to them. Father, I ask that you bring increase to us, wave upon wave, and in 
enlarge us and cause us to go forward in greater and greater ways, expanding your kingdom in Jesus' name and amen. If you need an envelope, I guess I skipped that whole part, uh, just wave your hand again. Our ushers will bring one to you and then uh, we'll give you a minute and then we'll pass the baskets. We have at the lobby um, an update from Kurdistan, an update from Turkey, and so you can uh, find those papers down there in the lobby and um, read about what is happening there. Lots of exciting things. John, I need you to get a scripture ready for me to put up on the screen. It's going to be in the Holman translation. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse, well, I'll wait on the verse. So, Tuesday is voting day, election day. Finally, it's here. How many are ready for this to be behind us? Well, I want to encourage you to take your responsibility, because you do have one whether you use it or not, and go out and vote, and vote in a godly way. Vote in a way that promotes kingdom principles. There is a scripture verse that tells you if, whether you should vote, which way you should vote. Did you know that? Huh? Put up uh, Ecclesiastes 10 verse 2. This will tell you who to vote for. A wise man's heart goes to the right, but a fool's heart goes to the left. So that should clear it completely up for you. And uh, come Tuesday, be a wise man and go to the right. 